Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, are we doing this? Let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck nicks? It's me, Mark Marin. Welcome to the show. This is WTF. I am out here in the garage at the Cat Ranch. Uh, quick update on the cats. Boomer's puking again. Don't know why. Don't understand it. Uh, there's no hairball there. I give him some medicine, but he's still throwing up. And I think part of it has to do with the fact that he goes in for the early free breakfast next door, which I find to be uh, a lesser a grade of food than I like to give my cats. But having an outdoor cat, that means he's going to go next door and eat the free food, which he vomits, and it's multicolored, which I know is not the natural color for cat food. I just want to send out a quick and very large thank you to the people of Austin, Dallas, and New York City. The tapings for the live WTF tour were great. Uh, we're going to you know mix them down and put them together and get them up as soon as possible. But great audiences everywhere uh, at a great time. And I uh, really appreciate you coming out. I would like to uh, extend a thanks to Ira Glass, who was on our last show and who said some very lovely things about me and the show on the This American Life blog. Thank you, Ira. Uh, it was wonderful to talk to you. And uh, I really appreciate uh, your feelings about me and my show. Uh, I'm very grateful that you feel that way. And, and you know, it's, it's hard for me to accept good things, but that was a very nice thing. And thank you for doing the show again. Now, another thing. Go out and vote in your local elections. That's all I'm going to say about that. You know what the right thing to do is. Think about the future, but just do your part and vote. Even if you're discouraged, you're cynical, you feel like everything's fucked, nothing's going to help, it's all a sham, go out and vote. Just you know, vote your heart, vote your mind, you know, vote as your civic duty. Just go out and vote in your local elections. Vote for your senators, vote for your congresspeople, vote. Just do it. Will you, please? You disenfranchised, cynical motherfuckers, go vote, make the right choice, think about the future. Enough said. Upcoming gigs. I always forget to do this, and I need to do it because it's important that you, that I don't piss you off. If I come to your town and you don't know where I'm at, or I didn't pu- publicize it enough, then you get mad at me, and I get the angry emails. You know, what the fuck? I didn't have anything to do that night. I didn't know you were playing in my basement. You know, I knew there were cars out front, but I didn't assume that, you know, your career is at a point where you'll be playing my basement, my neighborhood. Why didn't you mention it on the podcast? Well, here I'm doing it now. November 4th, 5th, 6th and 7th, I will be in Cincinnati at Go Bananas. That's going to be a fun show. My buddy Ryan Singer is opening for me and I'm looking forward to watching Ryan. If you want to watch me, you can look forward to that and come on down. 4th, 5th, 6th and 7th of November in Cincinnati at Go Bananas. November 11th, 12th, and 13th, I will be at the Punchline in San Francisco. Uh, as many Bay Area people know, I love San Francisco. I love that room. I've written a lot of my, uh, my, my favorite bits actually happened on stage in that room. So that's happening. November 11th, 12th, 13th at the Punchline in San Francisco. Here in Los Angeles, November 19th, we're having a live What the Fuck at UCB Theater at 8 o'clock. That's November 19th here in Los Angeles, live What the Fuck. Oh, see, I forgot one. Here's an odd one. November 15th, Pontiac, Michigan at the Crowfoot Ballroom. Come on down for that. Me doing stand-up in Pontiac, Michigan. I know that they don't make Pontiacs anymore, but Pontiac, Michigan is still there, and I'm I'm happy for that. If you're within a 300-mile radius of that, 
Come down. I guarantee it will be a good show. I will be taping my CD at Union Hall December 9th and 10th if you want to plan ahead. Small space. Come down for that. Enough of those kind of plugs. Let's move on into some deeper thanks to everybody who sends me stuff. It's hard for me to, to, uh, to thank everybody individually, but I enjoy the posters. I enjoy the magazines. I enjoy the letters. I'm getting handwritten letters. Takes a lot of time. I appreciate it. It's very nice to get a handwritten letter. I should try it. I've digressed to the point where I just write short, curt emails that people always um, interpret as angry, whereas it's just me rushing through it, getting information out. But thank you for everything you're sending. It makes my day to go to my mailbox and get a large envelope that doesn't have something explosive or dangerous or vile in it. I don't mind vile you know, if, it's, if, it, if its heart is in the right place. But thank you very much for sending that stuff. Cassette tapes, I appreciate you sending them. I have no way of listening to them. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, again, I would love to listen to them, but I really don't have a cassette player. But I appreciate the artwork on them and the thought that goes into them. And I read the song lists. And they all seem very nice. But until I get a cassette player, I can't listen to them. But again, I appreciate it. And uh, I'm not going to judge. If that's where you're at, there's a sort of art and personality that goes into creating an actual mixtape. And I, I appreciate that. And I will get those pictures out to people that ask for pictures. Now, where the fuck am I at? That was a lot of plugging. I wrote some stuff down in my, in my notebook that I, I was able to read about... This idea of normalcy, the idea of love, the idea of what's expected of us, of social norms, of career, of all these fucking expectations that are considered normal in relation to the machine that we live in that determines and justifies you know, what a valid existence is. I'm beginning to realize that I am not normal. That I, I, I'm trapped in a relatively normal body. My life is kind of normal. I have a car. I have a house. That I have to clean the pine needles off the top of the roof because if it rains again, I think I'm going to get leaks and the roof is going to rot. That, those are normal problems. They're, they're even luxury problems to some people. But I cannot understand the dynamics of my romantic relationships. I cannot understand the dynamics of the life I've chosen for myself in a lot of ways. These are not normal things. Got nothing to complain about other than the fact that I'm trying to not let it consume my life completely. And to know also that I'm not a normal person. I'm just not. I don't even know what the fuck it means. And then I go off on this other thought where I'm watching this guy, a young comic who's very peculiar. I don't even want to mention his name, but he's stylistically peculiar. He's physically awkward. You know, I've seen him around a lot. You know, he clearly is you know, just by nature of who he is different. And life has not been easy for him because of how different he looks, how different he talks, how he is emotionally. And I had this moment where I was watching him. And I just realized, and this goes along somewhat with some of the discussions I've had about nerd culture, that there's a difference between being unique and acting unique. I see so many fucking people, and myself included, and it's not a judgment, that are trying their hardest to be weird, to be different in order to stand out. And I've watched this happen over and over again in my profession. And certainly, you know, people socially that are like this, that there's a lot of affectation going on, you know, to draw attention to oneself. I've done it. I've do I, I can look at my, my history of haircuts, my history of attempts at, 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 at things where it's like just me trying to be seen somehow. But what I see more so than not is people who try to act weird, people who, who are, are, are just like 
putting on some sort of front so people will pay attention to them. And I watch over years these people just slowly, you know, hammer their uniqueness into exactly what is expected of them. That the norms are so strong and their uniqueness is so forced and fake that eventually they just succumb to, you know, just normal expectations. And, and I feel better for them once they do that. But I also have a certain amount of resentment who try uh, against people who try very hard to be weird because I think it gets in the way of people who are truly weird. And and one thing I got to tell you is that you cannot fake the fury, anger and, and just screaming needs that come from being truly unique. That means being unable to fit in being you're completely disabled to to be socially uh polite you're socially awkward you're physically freakish the way you think is completely whacked that you know the the price of that you know if you throw talent into the mix the 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 way that defines your life is a day-to-day struggle and i you know i find myself rooting for these people and you know some of them they've been on the show And I, when I saw this kid the other night, I'm like, you know, I find you a little grating and a little irritating, but I know you can't help but be what you are and who you are. And it takes all your energy just to show up for that and make it public. And I I wish the best for you because I know the pain and fury that comes from not being able to, to, to escape your uniqueness is, is, is life threatening. If you're a freak or a weirdo or a geek or a whack job, God damn it, please do yourself a favor. Embrace it, accept it, or it will eat you from the fucking inside. Man, I don't know where that came from, but I, and I don't know what's going on in my heart, but it, there's nothing easy about any of it. There just really isn't. And I'm sitting here in this garage. I don't, I don't know the difference between you know hoarding and being nostalgic. I have no idea what I'm doing out here. Why can't I just get rid of some of these books? What does it mean? I know I've talked to the, about you this before, but there's part of me that's like, it's time to throw shit away. Give it away. Give it to a library. Give it to a school. Give it to Goodwill. Get on with it. What are you getting from this shit? This empire of half-read books. What am I getting from it? What am I getting from these stacks of memorabilia of me? And I know I've talked about this before, but I really think I'm moving towards streamlining it. Towards almost like a a destructive feng shuiing of my life, which means that I would ag- you know angrily throw away everything. Do you know that moment where you're you're about to move out of a house or an apartment where you've moved everything out and all that's left is a bed and a lamp and a box and you lay in there and you look around and you and you think to yourself, I, why didn't I just have it like this all the time? What there's this is perfect. There's nothing here. There's no burden. There's no, you know, there's no walls of shit with expectations that I think are defining me, that make me unique. Someone walks into this garage. Wow, what an interesting guy. No, not really. I just can't throw shit away. And if you watch Hoarders, it, you know, it gets into your fucking craw, man. It really does. I don't think I'm a hoarder because I'm not adding a lot. You know, I don't go out every day and add to this. I don't need to because I get it, you know, just, you know, by virtue of the mailbox stuff starts stacking up. So I don't add to it. So I'd like to think that if I am a hoarder, that I'm done. I'm done with the hoarding. I talked to a guy from AMC about some things, you know, nothing to get excited about, but it was a nice meeting. But, you know, he, uh, 
he actually uh, turned me on to, uh, he helped me out because I've been sort of like, uh, I didn't have my DVR running or I didn't responsibly do it, but I've got the third season of Breaking Bad, which takes place in my hometown, which has got to be one of the greatest shows ever created. Holy shit. And to realize that on some level, it's 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 really a comedy in a lot of ways. It's a very dark comedy and an exploration of of human morality and what that means and who is good, who is right, you know, what is wrong, you know, what defines a person. I'm really enjoying watching that. And another thing I enjoy watching for the wrong reasons outside of hoarders is uh, man versus food. That guy, Adam Richman, someone needs, you know, I wish that, the, that someone from the other network, from A&E, would intervene there. That Adam Richman needs an intervention because I don't know if you watch that show, but he's a perfectly pleasant guy. The object is he goes to a restaurant, a unique restaurant that offers a specific thing, usually a large thing. And then he sits and tries to defy uh, or break a wreck. He tries to eat whatever it is that someone could never get to. Uh, uh, the biggest burrito, the largest hamburger, uh, you know, uh, more spaghetti than anybody else. Whatever it is, you know, because I have my own food issues, which I'm not going to obsess about because I'm feeling pretty good. I've uh, I've begun my anorexic uh, regimen where I buy a lot of vegetables, uh, wasa crackers, uh, no real carbs, just meat. And I basically, you know, to, to lose about five or six pounds, I go into this mode where I eat nothing but vegetables and it's horrendous because th- the gas is daunting. Uh, I feel bad for my girl because you know she stays over a lot, and it's it's literally uh, it's it's not it's not a proud moment. But I am excited that we've crossed the intimacy line to where I can uh, I can you know feel free to have that gas and 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 let it go. You know, I, I had a housemate for a while who I love, but uh, but we, you know we were on you know fart lockdown, and, and that was uncomfortable. I think I might have gotten some internal injury from that. But that's over, and now I'm, I, I think I'm taking advantage of the freedom with this diet. But getting back to Adam Richman, there comes a point where he's you know, uh, you know, against the clock, sticking shit into his face, just shoving shit into his face and, and, and being cute about it and being open about it and saying, like, he can do it, he can do it. But at some point, if you watch a few of those episodes back to back, you're like, he's killing himself. Would somebody please step in? We're watching a guy eat himself to death. Is this entertainment? And really it is on some level. It is the pinnacle of American entertainment. Man versus food is really what American television on some level and American culture looks like. This guy can go to a restaurant and just sit there and consume himself into almost barfing, probably putting his health in jeopardy. And he's surrounded by people with flags and pennants and, you know, proud members of whatever state or community or restaurant he's at going, go, 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 go. And I'm just waiting for him to clinch his fucking chest and go face down into the world's largest burrito. And what are people going to clap? Are they going to say, you know, saw that coming? We all saw it coming. Stop eating, Adam. It's not worth it. Unless the next show you're going to you're going to go over to another reality show where you're going to lose the weight. Are we going to you know, follow you into the hospital where your your arteries are, are clogged with what's the remnants of that you know massive pulled pork sandwich you shoved down your mouth? Ninety of them in an hour. Is it worth it, Adam? I'm reaching out to you, Adam. I'm concerned. This is an intervention. Stop. Put the pizza down. Adam. Today on the show, I'm very excited. Maz Jabrani is with us. Maz, uh, again, a rare uh, gentleman, uh, a, a, a truly sweet guy, an intelligent guy, a Persian-American comic uh, with an interesting story. I work with him a lot at the comedy store, uh, and he's, he's always very sweet. And when I see him get on stage and do his shit, I'm like, Why, how is he so nice? 
How people just like him. He's he's instantly pleasant. I envy that, but I also am very curious about uh, the Persian American community, about performing also in the Arab communities and here in America uh, and and abroad. It's a, it's a story I've never heard, and I'm very excited to talk to Maz. <laughs> My guest in my garage here at the Cat Ranch is Maz Jabrani. Maz? Maz. I say Maz. You, yeah, you sometimes, say, sometimes say Maz, sometimes say Maz. It's a difficult name, I think, but not well, that difficult. Well, if you just remember Mazda or Maserati. Do I say Maz sometimes? Sometimes you I say. I apologize. No, that's all right. You're in the moment. You're on stage. You're, you, you know, you, you, the least of your worries should be my name. Well, I know, and I, I, I do bring you up in a difficult way. I, sometimes I say uh, uh, this guy is uh, Persian, as if that still exists, <laughs> Persia. Right. But you do identify yourself as Persian. Well, I often say, I actually made a point early on to say Iranian. Uh-huh. And uh, I used to do a whole bit about that, about how, you know, Iran, the people that were saying Persian were the ones who were trying to distance themselves from the Iranian government. Oh, is that what it was? That was one of the big reasons. Because what happened, if you After think about- After Khomeini took well, yeah, over. Yeah, if you think about it, well, we, a lot of Iranians came from Iran late 70s, right? Yeah. The revolution happens. We're here. We're trying to blend in. Everything's you needed going to get fun. out. We had to get out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, they were executing people. So we left. That's usually a sign like, okay, I think it's time to go. How old were you? I was six. And your dad took off. My dad took off. The family took off. We all came out to uh, America. Now, when do you, have you talked to your father about that, though? Like that, I mean, I can't even imagine what it must have been like for a government. I mean, the Shah was the Shah, right? Yeah. And then it completely, it was like crazy. Yeah, actually, it's funny. I, uh, my father's passed away now. I, I asked him a little bit. I asked my mom. I, but I did more. What, what I did was actually, I was really curious about that time. So I, I would sit in the library sometimes when I was in college, and I would yeah. go get those microfish, uh, you know, uh, oh, articles. Oh, yeah, microfish, sure. And I'd go through those, and I'd look at, um, I, I, I did this one time specifically. I went to the 1978 New York Times. I just started looking at a bunch of New York Times yeah. from early 78 yeah. through the year. Yeah. And if you look at it earlier in the year, any kind of news from Iran, because it kind of crept up. Um, even even Carter had visited like in late 77 or early 78 and there was a famous speech where he's like you know Iran is a bastion of of uh, stability in this region yeah, you know yeah, yeah. Uh, you know a year yeah, later sure bam so you see you see like in in like on like page like whatever 20 you know um, protests in Iran like very small you yeah, know yeah, and yeah. then as it gets more and more closer and closer it starts picking up and the news starts picking up on oh my god something big's happening yeah and uh and so that's how it went. And it, and it was people really, like, I've read a lot about it now. People didn't realize it was going to happen. Even my family, the way we left was yeah. kind of, uh, um, it was kind of uh, in, in a noncommittal way almost. My father was doing business in New York. Um, at the time, it was me, my sister, my mom, and we had a baby, a baby brother, newborn. Yeah. And um, my dad was uh, in New York. It was around the Christmas break. We went to a Western school, so we were learning English and Farsi. So they were taking the Christmas break, and also because protests were starting to break out, um, I think the, there was like like blackouts and stuff. So the school let out a little early. So my dad told my mom, said, "Why don't you and the two older kids come to New York for a couple weeks, just come on vacation uh, while I'm here, and then you guys can go back." Um, you left the baby there. We left the baby there with who? Your grandparents? Or with something? like the family, you yeah. Know? And I always say, I always say, like you know, we packed for two weeks and we stayed for thirty years, you know, because <laughs> yeah. we came. It just kept getting worse and worse and worse. <laughs> you never went back. Never went back. Who never went and got the baby? Well, that's I always jokingly I say. Well, now he's the president of Iran, Ahmadinejad, <laughs> right? He's running. You know, my brother Mahmoud. Um, no, he. Uh, the family. We brought him back. We brought him out, obviously later, and other relatives came out. But but we uh, nobody really knew. 
that it was good because Every, everyone felt I mean think about it like if, if you if you're living in a country and, and you're doing well in that country you know uh, um, monetarily wise financially you know your family was alright my dad was yeah, my dad was a self-made he was a self-made millionaire he had a he started a, an electric company and he told he told me this story about how at some point in the 70s the Shah's regime decided to nationalize electricity yeah but they decided to work with a handful of companies yeah and my dad says one of the ministers t- took a meeting with him and said congratulations you're one of the companies we're going to work with so he was connected politically so he was connected politically he was connected financially and, and he you know he, my dad like the stories my dad tells uh, remind me of the godfather like right. people needed anything done they'd come to my dad right they hook it up he knew yeah. generals he knew mayors he knew police chiefs and he also came from he was a self he was self made yeah. He actually started in northern Iran when he was a kid. There's a place called... Much Pat- like the Bin Laden Construction Company. Kind of like the Bin Laden... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, you need a Kalishnikov. We got it for you. Yeah. yeah. Do you have, but, you know, it's weird because there's still this sense that, uh, and I think it's a reality, that Irani, uh, Iran, beneath, you know, these these laws, the the Sharia laws and, and, and whatnot, is still very cosmopolitan. It's very progressive. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of art. There's a lot of, um, of culture. And and the big thing is now uh, in America is that there's not an awareness of just how progressive Iran is. That you know the the picture they're they're generating is like this guy's got to go. Ahmadinejad is is crazy. We should just nuke the place. And there's definitely a lot of people in Iran who are like, please, we we'd love it to be different. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's the thing about Iran is that it's um, first of all, um, Iran was was uh, it became Muslim like later. It, it yeah. was it was originally Zoroastrian. So yeah. they had. Uh, uh, and, and and are you Zoroastrian? I'm, I'm not that religious. I was born. I was. I always say I was born Muslim, but I'm not that religious. You oh, know? okay. And, and but the thing about Zoroastrianism is the the mentality, the the philosophy is is simple: good words, good thoughts, good deeds. That's yeah. it. And I'm like, okay, I do those three. Yeah. You know, I'll stick with that. Like yeah. I, I don't like talking a lot of crap behind people's back and stuff right. like. So, uh, and I try and do good for other, you know, to 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 people. And yeah. and so, um, and it was the first monotheistic religion. So anyway, so Islam comes later, and so now a lot of Iranians in Iran have um, a dislike of Islam because of what's happened, and they tend to uh, associate more with the Zoroastrian background. Um, but but furthermore. Um, a lot of people in Iran, like we saw in the Green Movement a couple years ago, I mean, you saw all these, a lot of women yeah. uh, out in the streets, a lot yeah. of young guys in jeans and T-shirts. Yeah. I mean, they're very, very, very modern, very yeah. much um, cosmopolitan, like yeah. you were saying. And, and the unfortunate thing, it would be as if, you know, if the religious right ran this country and the image that we got around the world was just religious right. Yeah, that happened for a little while. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, Something and, like that. Yeah, and Rove is working on it again. That's right. So yeah. now, but like, do you do you have family there still? I had, my father was there till a few years ago, uh, and then he passed away. He was in Iran. He went back to Iran. He came, so what happened was, he was self-made uh, millionaire there, brought his money to America, lost a lot of it in real estate investments, went back to Iran to get like some of his old investments going again, and basically spent the latter part of his life over there, came back a couple times, but he was very, you know, it would be, you know, he came to America in his, in his I think he was in his mid-40s. Yeah. So imagine, like, he really knew how Iran worked and didn't really know how America works as well. Yeah. And so I think he went back later in his life to try and, you know, feeling that he could do better there financially than he could here. Did you visit him? Yeah, I visited, I've only been back to Iran once, and that was about, you know, like 12, 13 years ago when I first started doing stand-up. Um, and so I was just like just out of the gates. I didn't really, um, I hadn't been talking much about political stuff or anything. Yeah. Um, now I've done enough material criticizing the government that I don't even dare go back because I feel that I would that, show up and they would be like, "Hey, 
No, I, that can happen. I Absolutely. mean, especially in the in the way the information world is set up now. Like I know uh, uh, Kumail Nanjiani. He he can't go back to Pakistan. I mean, he literally had to stop doing a one man show yeah. because of threats to his family in Pakistan. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. fucking amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That, and now, okay, so you were discussing the, this idea of the difference between the the Persian and Iranian. Now, now, what's interesting about you, and and, so, and I'm ignorant to a certain degree. Is that I know you were part of the Axis of Evil. You know, I'm not going to talk about you know whatever problems you three have now, but with you and Ahmed, Ahmed, Aaron Cater, and there was another one too, right? Uh, we had a fourth guy, Dean Obidala, out of New York. Oh, yeah, Dean, I love Dean. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. A Palestinian Italian. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's a great yeah. guy. Uh, and, and Aaron's a good guy. You're all good guys. I don't want to discuss any. And we of had your... Sam Tripoli was with us when we first started out too, but then it ended up being just the other four. That we well, Sam, I, does does he really identify himself? What is he no, Egyptian? Sa- no, Sam has Sam has uh, is part Armenian. What oh. happened was we it all came together with, with Mitzi Shore. The owner of the comedy store. She, yeah, she wanted to do a show called The Arabian Nights, and this okay. was in 2000. Ahead of the curve. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, because she was, she, you know, she watches. She was watching CNN uh, religiously, and she saw it was the latest intifada with the Palestinians. Right. And she came, and she goes, "I feel like there's going to be a need, there's going to be a need for a positive voice of Middle Easterners out in the world." So she wanted to put together Arabian Nights, and the only Middle Eastern comic there at the time was me. I was, you know, Middle Eastern American. I was whatever. Yeah. So, so then, so then she started finding the others. And then anybody who had any sort of possible Middle Easternness in yeah, them, yeah, yeah. an Indian guy showed up. Everyone, yeah. everyone okay. showed up. Yeah, yeah. It was just like it was just mishmash. <laughs> but eventually, it evolved to the Arabian Nights, and I mean, to the Axis of Evil comedy tour. It was me, Ahmed, Aaron, and Dino. Bidani. Aaron's uh, Palestinian. Aaron's dad is Palestinian. His mother is Mormon. Yeah, it's interesting. But so you're the only real. I don't know. Ahmed is fully. What is he? Egyptian. Ahmed was born in Egypt. His parents are Egyptian, and then they moved out to. Uh, they moved. They moved when he was like six months or something. And you're fully. I was Iranian. born in Iran. Yeah, yeah. I'm the the axis of evil was Iran, North Korea, and and uh, Iraq. So really, officially, I would be the only axis of evil person. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, uh, I I just think like because there's so little I know about these uh, communities, and I know that you guys toured. Uh, in the states and also uh, in the Middle East, and and I'm I'm a, an ignorant American in that I know that that comedy has become sort of a niche market, but I don't think a lot of uh, Americans or even people necessarily listen to this, you know, realize the the populations and the communities in this country that are huge and they're powerful and they never had really a comedic voice under then you know peculiar dancing clowns and you know, yeah. a few different things yeah even as a fairly educated person i don't most people don't they're like there's the iranian jews yeah and there's yeah. a shitload of them yeah it's, it's a lot and actually to this day there are, there are jews living in iran there's just jews in, in the iranian parliament i mean and, and um um and and in in the middle east Outside of Israel, the next biggest Jewish population in the Middle East is in Iran because they're not living in the Arab countries. Right. So there's still, you know, there's a lot of Persian Jews that were there. You oh, know? This, that's the distinction that I remember now. They're, Persians get very touchy about being, you know, uh, mistakenly called Arab. Mm. That like I've had, I, I've had that conversation yeah. with people. Yeah. And it's really sort of like we're not. Arab. Well, see, that goes back to that goes to two things. I think one is again. Are you like that? I'm not. I the only reason I clear I I I, I uh, uh, correct people on it is because it's I just want people to know that they're different countries and different people and right. we're different. You know, in terms of you know, it's like you know when you call a Guatemalan Mexican and they're like, no, I'm Guatemalan, I'm not Mexican. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like that. Is it like that because you you could call a Guatemalan Latin? 
Yeah, you could. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. That that well, that's but that's so you can call an Iranian or an Arab Middle Eastern. Okay, that okay, works. Okay, right. right okay. Um, and the thing with the Iranians, here's what's interesting. I think part of it is part of it is look. Every country in that region. That this is one of the reasons I think that the, that the region doesn't do that well. It's because <laughs> that's a very pleasant way of putting. Yeah. It. Well, there, um, there seems to be some issues. <laughs> some issues. <laughs> no, because look, America came and got all these different parts yeah. of the country and they put yeah. together the United States of America. Now yeah. there's there's people that have way differing opinions and different types and what have you. But it's the United States of America. There's no United States of the Middle East. Yeah, and that's a, a, a terrifying thought to a lot of Americans. Yeah, yeah. Because that could not go well. Come together. In their mind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, you know what? That's if, if you know there was that, that famous like the Muslim crescent fear. That, yeah. You know that Iran, Iraq, and yeah. uh, Lebanon. And there was going to be an Egypt. Listen, don't worry. It, they would self implode and like <laughs> it would be like dysfunctional family. Yeah, you know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Even even within the Arab countries, you have like when you travel from like. You know, uh, the United Arab Emirates and you go to Lebanon. The yeah. Lebanese are like, oh, you know, screw the, you know, we're, uh, Dubai is, oh, my God, I spit on Dubai. Yeah, yeah. We are so superior. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And you yeah. go to Syria, they're like, oh, the Lebanese, we are Syrian. We're the best. You know, everyone, everyone, you know, right there, everyone's point, you know. But what is the difference? That, but now would, uh, would the Syrians and the Lebanese and uh, who identifies themselves as Arabs? Those guys are all Arabs. Syria, Lebanon, Egypt, uh, um, Egypt Jordan. Those are all Arab countries. Iraq, they, uh, Iraq. They all speak Arabic. They have different. They have different uh, um, accents in the sort. But you yeah. know, some words are different. But they speak Arabic. They tend to be Sunni Muslims. Um, although in Lebanon, there's a lot of Shiite Muslims as well. Thus Hezbollah. So Iranians are very sensitive to the whole Arab thing. And and just to show you how sensitive they are. Um, I was reading, there was a great article in National Geographic about Iran. It was very very well written. Yeah. And this American journalist was there and said, everyone I talked to, they said, I would ask them, what do you want the world to know? And they said, the first thing we want the world to know is we're not Arabs. The second thing we want the world to know is we're not terrorists. <laughs> so it's better to be a terrorist than an Arab, <laughs> you know? I mean, that's what they, in their mind, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, so, so anyway, so Iranians are very sensitive to that. But like I said, like if I see an Iranian go like, oh, we're not Arab, you know, like that, I'm, yeah. like, I'm like, dude. What do you like? What do you, you, you know? Your you, your shit doesn't stink. It yeah. does. Yeah. You know, like yeah. don't give me that. Right. You know. So um. So that's the thing with the distinction. But it's true. Yeah, it's true. It's true. But you're it. just saying don't you know? It, you know, just you know, handle it in a less aggressive way. Don't say it in a disdainful way. Right. Like yeah. Arabs are scum Explain and we're to not. People. Yeah, and just right. go. Hey, look, they're different. And right. just you know, I I do that all the time. Like you don't know how many morning radio shows I go on where they're like, hey, so. Arab, you're, you know, how is it being Arab? I'm like, well, I'm not Arab, but, uh, you know, I'm and then, and then I get into like, it. Yeah, yeah, whatever, you're exactly. brown. Yeah, same shit, man, <laughs> whatever. You guys, you know, hey, you know, where was your magic carpet you came in yeah, on? Oh, like, oh Jesus. Have you gotten stuff like that? I get stuff like that. Like, people are like, trying to be funny. I'm like, all right, that's pretty good. I'm like, okay, but buddy. But I just think it's really interesting because, you know, I, I try not to separate, you know, when I talk to people, though I do, uh, you, you know what you you, you, you know I, we're all Americans here, right? But nonetheless, in my mind, if you have a distinct background that that defines a distinct community from another country, it's a very interesting thing, and in in the sense that there is a difference. Yeah, yeah, we're all Americans, but one of the great things about being American is that you can live here and build your own community and be an American, but also you know be be uh, true to your community of of where your roots are from. Yeah, and that that strengthens America on some level, and it's just interesting to me with the entire uh, Middle Eastern comedy scene is that 
you know, during vaudeville, when the Jews couldn't, you know, go to, you know, schools and they, they needed to pass, that there were the, the Jewish community was sort of cloistered and bunkered down. And then once comedians started speaking for that community, that they were actually helping people integrate yeah. in, into the American uh, model. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, when, and when other people found the Jews funny, they were like, these Jews are pretty funny. Yeah. You know, Lenny Busey used to do a bit about... about uh, about Pharaoh and Moses, you know, uh, yeah. bring the Jew in; he's charming. Yeah. But uh, but there's something about this is a very new thing. Yeah. That there's because the comedy has sort of exploded, and as, and, and as you said, even in Lebanon, there's people. Yeah, Stand up is an American mode. Yeah. And there are people that you know respect it and want to do it and see it, and it works. I was in Ireland, everywhere. Yeah. But they all say that Amer- you know, stand up is American. Yeah, absolutely. But what's interesting to me is that you're at the cutting edge of this integration yeah. of of the Arab community and the Middle Eastern community and Persian community into the American picture yeah. at, at a time where they're in, incredibly ostracized be, because of misinformation. Yeah, yeah. So that must feel sort of empowering. Well, yeah, it's interesting because uh, a big part of it is like, first of all, I'm happy to, you know, I always consider myself, you know, as a kid, I used to watch, you know, all the stand-up shows and I would see all these guys, you know, and like I remember being like 10 or something or 12 uh-huh. and Eddie Murphy comes on the scene. I'm like, oh, this guy's hilarious. Yeah. You know, and I actually wanted to do stand-up when I was 17. And at the time, I didn't even associate with my Iranianness as much because, I knew that we were different and all that stuff, but a lot of my friends, I had like a few Iranian friends who were in Northern California. Um, I just wanted to be a funny guy. And like yeah. the jokes I would write were all sex-based. I'm 17 years old. Right. You know, I'm being inspired by Eddie Murphy. What am I going to write about, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and, and it wasn't until I finally got serious with it uh, in my mid-20s, and actually I took a stand-up comedy class, and they were saying, write about what you know. And I was like, well, you know, I know the, the, my experience as an Iranian growing up in America. And so I, I started talking about that, you know. And then I realized that also I, st- I studied poli-sci in, in college, so I'm really interested in the political and all that stuff. So I started talking about that stuff. And then the more things happened with September 11th and the wars and, and then the Patriot Act and all this other stuff, I go, oh, wow, there's a lot of things to talk about that I want to talk about. Yeah. Um, and I never felt like, oh, I'm the voice of a community or anything. I just felt like my job is to be funny, but if I can, like, I love, like, comedy that has a message underneath so if there's something that i can if i can get a point across to people whether it's like you know hey let me tell you about this discrimination thing that just happened or or our country's doing such and such and i can get it out i I love that kind of stuff so um so that's what we did and and it's what, what what's interesting is what you were saying this community was waiting right you know like growing up like i had all i had there was no middle eastern good guys yeah you know omar sharif 30 years ago yeah, you know what yeah, i'm saying yeah. like 40 50 years ago now yeah but after i mean I, I like for my my age group i loved i loved de niro and pacino and all the italian guys because that was the closest first of all everybody loved those guys but furthermore that was the closest i could get that was like they kind of look like me yeah you know yeah, 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 and, yeah. and they're these cool guys that's right. who i'm gonna you know grasp onto and so this whole community was waiting and that's what happened was once we once we got going, when I first started at the comedy store, it was, you know, late nights, you know how it is, late nights in front of like 10 people. Sure. And they're from all over the world and who knows. Right. But once like this, we did this Axis Evil thing and, and, um, and then it ended up on, on YouTube and people started like, you know, really spreading this out. Yeah. It was like a whole community going like, we've been waiting for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the support they gave us was amazing. They come out in droves and they really support it. And I think what you said is true. I think that it helps, you know, the community be seen in a light way like a lot of people didn't even know that there's a sense of humor in the Middle East yeah 
You know, and that's yeah. why I grew up with that. Like, yeah. like in the Persian culture, yeah. when you do, when there's parties, yeah. you'll go like, there's like always, there's like a handful of guys in corners just telling the dirtiest jokes. Sure. And they're, and they're Persian-based jokes, I mean, yeah. Iranian jokes. And, um, but people didn't, like when we did the Axie Evil Comedy Special, we really, we went on to see what people were saying. We ended up on, I ended up on a Sean Hannity uh, chat room. Yeah. And one guy had written another guy said, I never knew these people laughed. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. true, because you never see that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, they're always like, yeah, la, 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 la. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I will yeah. kill you then. But it was, but so that's what was amazing. And then what, and then what got even crazier was, you know, um, when we went to the Middle East, um, we started like, like there, there hadn't been American style stand up really happening there. And we went, and now we went from, from being, uh, you know, being on YouTube and also being on Comedy Central and in their minds and, you know, really have having succeeded in America and we brought it to the Middle East. I think if we had just been in the Middle East and started there, yeah. they would have been like, whatever. But because we came from... Oh, you these couldn't guys even get from, booked as a middle. Exactly, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. But but no, because we came from Hollywood and we came there, they uh, it, it just it exploded and, 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 uh, and, and it was like, you know, we're celebrities there now. It's totally big fish, small pond. Like yeah. I always say I'm like the David Hasselhoff of yeah, the Middle East. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And what happened, though, was it influenced then all these young comics, young guys there, because of YouTube and everything, these people want to do it. The problem is, it's like you know, it's like being in um, you know some some city like Des Moines or something where you're like, oh, there's no, there's only one club, yeah, or, yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. There's nowhere for them to get up, right? You know, and then there's also the uh, you put on top of that that there's like censors in the sort. So what you have is you have like in some governmental sense, governmental sense. So you have you have in some countries, depending on where you are, like Lebanon, very open. You could say whatever you want about whoever you want. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, they, they have, and there's a lot of like, they're very westernized and there's, and Lebanon has like, you have Christians, you have Muslims, you have all kinds of different, you, you have the, you run the extremes. Yeah. So if you do it in certain quarters, you know, there's like, you can put on coffee shops, you know, shows, what have you. Great. See, I had no idea about Lebanon like that. Oh my God. Beirut is amazing. Yeah? Beirut has like the craziest nightlife you can imagine. Like, really? Oh my God. They go really hardcore. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> it's like, it's like the clubs go, like I was saying, like I, I was in Lebanon recently in Beirut. And uh, we were going to go be going to New York, and my wife uh, was was hanging out with the baby in the hotel room, and she's like, you know, uh, Maz is doing a show and going to a nightclub afterwards. I got to be in the hotel room, and one of her friends emailed, like it was a Facebook thing, and yeah. email. The friend was like, "Well, you're coming to New York. We'll really, ha- you know, we'll live it up as New York." And yeah. I'm like, "This guy's got to see Beirut because Beirut was <laughs> New York to shame. It's crazy, <laughs> really, because there's no rules and regulations. So you end up at this like a nightclub, and it's like, I mean." It goes, it's like, you know, I don't even know if they have a, uh, I don't know if there's a rule for a closing hour. I'm not sure. I'm yeah. not, I don't know if there is. There's definitely no uh, capacity rule. They yeah. just push people in <laughs> yeah. and they're going hardcore and it's a, and, and you, and, and it's just, Beirut is pretty small and you have like, you have like the, the, the Mediterranean right there. So people go to the beach, you know, and then they, they have the hills. You can go like when it's, when in the winter, but like you hardcore, go they're dancing, is there drugs? Is there everything? Like, oh yeah. Everything. Oh yeah. Everything. Like when I, for, the last time I did shows there. Um, because I, I was doing, I did a seven country tour of the Middle East, and, and one of the I've never I've never performed in Iran, like yeah. I, won't, I you know, but I've been to the Arab countries, right? Um, and it's all in English, and these are all mostly are either people that have traveled the world, yeah, or they're going to like American University right. of Beirut or whatever, yeah. And uh, last time I did it, since I was on the tour, the guys in Beirut set up, uh, um, like they said, we'll do a smaller show because you're doing a tour anyway. Because usually when we go there, we do like 2,000 seaters. Uh-huh. And it's just crazy. Uh-huh. This time the guy goes, we're going to do a, a, a nightclub and it'll be 150 seats. I go, great. I show up and they put like a, a board on top of one of their bars. Basically like Coyote Ugly. I'm yeah. on top of a bar. <laughs> yeah. 
with a microphone <laughs> with like booze behind me. And I came from, now I came from, the, the, I, I just done shows in uh, Riyadh, Saudi Arabia the night before. What the fuck is that like? Oh, it's crazy. Uh, now, first of all, Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, it's like, it's illegal to have, there's no movies. Anything. You can have movies. <laughs> you yeah. You can't have Shrek, yeah, much yeah, less, yeah. you know, Maz <laughs> Jobrani, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or any comedian, you know? Um, and so it's, there's an underground movement there. Um, of like young people that that really rebel against that, and what it is is the the royal family is really big. So within the royal family, you have people that support more of this like liberal kind of like you know entertainment and stuff, and you have people within the royal family who are going no. And I think the royal family is in a very precarious position because they're going, if we go too far, this religious you know the Wahhabis are going to revolt, yeah, and we're done, yeah. If we don't you know, but but we got to kind of but now we've got this youth movement that that wants like they have like a metal rock scene in Saudi Arabia with young Saudi kids getting together in basements and playing so they metal let rock. it happen they let it happen but it's kind of like you know the police can't find out about it blah 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 but you the got, Wahhabis are, are extremely fanatic oh yeah they're extremely fanatic so they're ultra religious ultra religious and, and the royal family is so large and so rich that they are really you know political uh, aristocracy that they, that you know beyond their Muslimness they own the country they own the country but, but they, they but they realize that if the Wahhabis decide to revolt, they're like, fucked. They're, they're fucked. And, and they just keep buying American military machinery to keep them frightened. Keep buying that. And I think at the same time, I think that there's some of them within the royal family actually funnel money to them. You know what I'm saying? And, sure. And, and I'm sure that some of them in the royal family probably think like them. Some of the royal family are going like, no, we need to go more religious. Right. And but some, so they have to accommodate a non-religious sort of uh, youth class. Like I, I imagine the Wahhabis are, are relatively poor. They're pretty angry. And then you must have this other group that would be more middle class and more disenfranchised that want to be more American or more. Yeah. yeah. So, but where do you perform in that situation? So, How is it legal? So you got to do like private. So you do like uh, like when I've done shows now. We've done it at like uh, embassies. You know, you'll do some embassies like like the Venezuelan embassy or something will open their doors to uh, an event. So it's it's almost like a global political action. It's like we need a space. That is not under the auspices of the Saudi royal family. Exactly. In order to put on the show, will you host yeah. a crazy yeah. uh, Middle Eastern comedy show yeah. so we don't get in trouble? Exactly. And Venezuela is cool. Because you're on their turf when you're in their embassy. Exactly. That's hilarious. Yeah. But what happened there actually was <laughs> uh, they actually did a show there. Uh -huh. um, and this was when I wasn't there. It was another group of guys were there. Um, I guess the police, the Saudi police saw... All these like young people coming to this event, and sometimes they saw young girls coming on uh, on um, without guardians. Like you're like that's the other thing. Like you, women can't even drive there. Yeah. So like they would be getting dropped off, and they're like, "Who are you with? What are you doing?" So the police started questioning, and some of the girls weren't able to go in. So the Venezuelan uh, embassy then came back and said, um, "You know what? We can't do this anymore at our place." So that stopped happening there because of the women. Because of no, because of the heat that they were getting from the police, going like, "What are you guys hosting in there?" Even though it's your territory, like the the person who runs the um, the embassy headquarters or whatever that like that 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 area was like, you know, the, from the from so the they, Saudi. So in another situation, they might have turned a blind eye, but because it was so, there were so many people and there were so many women going in, women and young girls and stuff. That then the police came in and said, because the police are, you know, the police turn this are off for a minute. The police are. Um, you know they're they're there anyway. They're yeah. policing the 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 embassy areas. So yeah. uh, you know they I guess they 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 saw this happening and then they started questioning some of these young girls, and then the young girls ended up not being able to go and it became a whole thing. And then the then the Venezuelan ambassador was like, we can't do this here anymore. So the guy who promotes the shows now has found other places. The last time I did a show out there, uh, we did it um, like an hour outside of Riyadh. One of the princes owns a farm that's supposedly the size of Bahrain. 
So it's, the farm is the size of a country. And, and he's got like a- So he could literally say, get off my property and be 20 miles away. Yeah, exactly. More <laughs> than 20. Yeah, I get 100 miles. You yeah, know? Yeah. Um, so he, uh, um, they have like a race car, a racetrack there. And then they have an animal preserve. So they set up outside by the animal preserve. And that's where I performed. Like I was, I mean, I did, it was nice. And how many so people you draw? Something like that. There was a thousand people there. And it was like, and it hadn't rained in two years. And that night it rained. It was outside. So you must have been very special. Well, yeah, I was, I was the rainmaker. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. But it was crazy. It was like these two tents. Then they set up two tents yeah. in case people were getting wet. So these, yeah. the 500 people each going to each tent. And we're going, okay, it's raining. What are we going to do? And I, and I was like, well, at the comedy store, sometimes you can do a show in the original room, then run to the main room. Right. So I go, why don't we do two shows? So we set, we set up for two shows. We're about to get going like in a tent, standing on a table without a mic. I was going to like be screaming. And then the rain stopped. And we go, okay, is it going to stop permanently or what? So we asked one of the Saudis and he's like, you know, in Saudi Arabia, when the rain stops, it stops. You know, I was like, all right, then that means we're going outside. <laughs> yeah. you know? So we went out and did it there. So what's crazy is so the night before I'm in Saudi Arabia where it's completely dry yeah. in terms of uh, alcohol and stuff, you yeah. know. Um, and, you know, if you knew people, you can get it. But generally speaking, you know, you got to know people. So we're there. We do the show in Riyadh. Go down to, like, the Sunset Strip of Riyadh, which yeah. is, like, it's packed. All these cars are out cruising. Yeah. And I'm looking around. I realize, wait a minute. It's all guys. Yeah. There aren't any girls. I'm like, what is this? And they're like, this is what they do. The guys come out and they cruise around. And, and they go, once in a while, some girls will, like, you know, get into, like, tinted windows, car with a male driver. Yeah. And then they'll, like, switch, exchange numbers and the sort. But the guy was pointing out to me. He goes like, "Like you can look out of the of the, of the car and you see uh, American chains. Like you see like a Starbucks, yeah, with a bunch of dudes sitting outside. Yeah. And, the, and the guy with the promoter was like, "Look, I'm married." He goes, "I can't go with my wife and go sit there right now. It's a beautiful night, but he can't go. It's illegal for for him to be out. Like there's like a family section that he would have to go sit in in a family. What section. is the basis of that law?" I mean, wait. What is what is the law exactly? Think, women can't go out. No, yeah, yeah, women do not go. No, I think it's like 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 we went to like a like a Kentucky Fried Chicken type thing there, and we were waiting to eat and I waited for our food. And I go, hey, I use the bathroom. Yeah. So I went to the bathroom, and I looked up. I was like, I realized it was only a men's room. And I came out and I looked at the line of people waiting for food, and it was just a bunch of dudes. And I go, where are the girls? And yeah. he goes, No, well, the women aren't allowed. There's like a men's section. Oh. And then, the, and then there's a family section. So a man and a wife, his wife or father and his daughter can go into the family section. Right. But they don't want like girls just you know hanging out like at a mall kind of situation. Right. It's really we know where that leads. You know that yeah, yeah, yeah. shopping. Yeah. Um, but um, so yeah. So I went from that yeah. kind of extreme to the next like the next day. I'm in Beirut. I'm doing a show on a bar. Yeah, and the Beirut to show you the difference now. So in Saudi Arabia, I'd have to know somebody. Everyone's all dressed up. Women are screaming. Dude, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy like that. Yeah, and then I go upstairs before the show, and and I was like, like you want anything to drink? I go, you know what? Do you have? Uh, I go, do you have uh, Don Julio tequila? He's like, yeah, I think we got that. I go, can I just get? I'll just get a, a Don Julio on the rocks. Maybe double Don Julio rocks. Squeeze a lime. I'm just gonna sip it through this my set. I'm sitting upstairs. The guy shows up with the bottle of the Don. He's like, "Here, have the bottle." I'm like, "No, I just need, I just need one." He's like, "Okay, okay, no problem, no problem." So I, I take, I take my glass up on stage. Yeah. I'm doing my show. I'm sipping, and another guy shows up. One of the bartender, whoever, shows up with another double, hands it to me. Yeah. He puts it on there. I'm yeah. like, "Oh, okay." Yeah. Finish that. No, I'm, I'm sipping it again. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. 
another double. I yeah. ended up with three doubles during the set. Yeah. And it, I went from like no alcohol to like drinking yeah. a whole bottle of tequila. And this is, this is, I mean, this is, I was say this is Vegas. This yeah. is friggin' Beirut. Yeah. And, and what was crazy about that show was, um, they uh it, it was i was on top of a bar yeah it was like coyote ugly and yeah. and they had like 120 people there to see me yeah and 30 girls who came from a bachelorette party who they did not tell there was gonna be a comedy show so the girls you know how it is they're just talking the, the whole time yeah i'm shutting them up they're talking shutting yeah. them up talking and then finally they had a photographer that was there to take pictures of them the photographer starts giving me attitude he's looking at me from the bottom of the bar yeah like when are you gonna be done yeah and it was him and some dude and I'm like, what? I mean, who are you guys? And the guy's like, are you going to sing? And I, and I turn to the manager. I'm like, this, did you guys tell these guys it was a comedy show? Yeah. And then the guy's like, uh, when are you finish? I go, I don't, I'm finishing. Don't worry. And then they, they had like some peanuts or something with yeah. them. And I go, what do you have in there? He's like, uh, you know, nuts. And I go, let me have one. The dude tosses the peanut like like ten feet into the air, like, yeah. up to the bar. Yeah. And so it was like slow motion because I'm like the crowd is watching the peanuts being tossed. This guy in a cocky way tosses it to me. I go, I gotta get this. Yeah. So like a seal, I just. Grab yeah. the thing in the air. I'm like, yeah! yeah. I'm like, sit your ass down, motherfucker. <laughs> you know? And it was such victory. You, you, you know? grabbed it with your mouth? Oh, yeah. I grabbed it with yeah. my mouth, man. Oh, it was that, great. Did, did you get a big round of applause? Oh, the people went nuts. <laughs> it was great, man. It was very much like uh, I cannot re recreate that scene, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, did but they shut up after that? They shut up for like a few minutes. You know, <laughs> drunk girls. You know, yeah, what do you expect? Know, yeah. You know? No matter what country you're in. Oh, it doesn't matter, man. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So that's Riyadh. That's Lebanon. Now, what were the experiences you know, outside of Riyadh? Was, was all of them more like uh, Lebanon or like, you know, what'd you go? Egypt, Jordan. Well, first of all, everywhere we've we've been, um, everywhere I've done shows, the crowds are great because the people that come to the shows, like I said, they, they've traveled around the world. They're open minded, and and they give you some rules sometimes. Like, I'll go I go to Riyadh on another show one time. Uh, they said, um, you know, everywhere we go, they go no sex, no religion, no politics, except for Lebanon. They go say whatever you want, but no sex, no religion, no politics. And then you go, okay, TV friendly set. Yeah, you know, kind yeah. of, you know, right. Um, so I was in I was in actually Jeddah. Uh, and you're doing it, how long? Half hour? 45? Half hour, 45 minutes, yeah. you know. I'm in Jeddah. The first time I'm in Saudi Arabia, I'm in Jeddah. Um, and uh, I'm backstage. And the and the promoter has lined up a bunch of young Saudi comics that are yeah. going to open up. Right. Um, actually, Ahmed was with me too. So Ahmed's like doing his show. And then there's these young guys. These young guys start. And there's one young guy who was like handicapped or something. Um, and these guys have only done stand-up like, you know, three, four times, you know. Yeah. I'm backstage, and all of a sudden, I hear from the stage like "fuck that motherfucker," "shit, shit, motherfucker," "fuck, fuck." fuck. I'm like, "What wow. is? I'm yeah. Like, what is going on?" I was like, yeah. "This kid's gonna get hung, yeah, uh, or hanged, or whatever yeah. it is." Um, and uh, he comes off stage, the, and, and then the promoter comes back and goes, "They loved you, mate. You were great." So this guy broke the whole thing of cussing, and yeah. and, and they loved it because yeah. the crowd, you know, this like faux pas, like yeah, oh my yeah. god, like yeah, you can't yeah. go there. He went there and they loved it. Yeah. So I was like, okay, so they give you the rules, but you can kind of push right. it a little bit. It's like bit. doing a college. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it is like doing a college. Like they want the kids want you to do it. The, yeah. the you know the the authorities don't. Um. So so um. When I went to Riyadh the first time, I was doing my set, keeping it clean. I don't know who's in the front. There's a bunch of people dressed up in like the traditional garb. I'm like, this guy could be the yeah. king's son. I don't know yeah. who it is. Yeah, you know, it turns out a few of them ended up being like grandsons of the king and stuff. It was funny because you have you have you have relatives, you have like nephews and grandsons of of royalty, and then you yeah. had a guy who was like, I think one of the uh, one of the uh, CEOs or something, some some leader of of uh, Exxon. Uh -huh. You're like, okay, so you got those two extremes happening in the front row. But um, I was doing my set. 
and I'm trying to keep it clean. And they played a game. There's a bunch of guys, a bunch of young kids, uh, teenagers playing a game where they whisper a word in each other's ears, and the next guy's got to say it louder and louder and louder and louder. And the word they'd whispered was vagina. So yeah. one of them goes vagina, vagina, vagina. And suddenly one of the kids has to go vagina, and he yells vagina. Yeah. And now as a comedian, you got to deal with that. Yeah. So I'm going, okay, I don't know who's here. This is royalty. I don't know. Should I say vagina? Am I in trouble by saying vagina? It's not even a slang. Not even a slang. I, yeah. You know. So I just started riffing on the term because what happened was I'd been talking about how the cities, uh, Jeddah and Riyadh, were so hot. I was talking about the heat in these cities. Cause I've never felt such heat in mm-hmm. any place. Mm-hmm. And that's what he yelled, vagina. And, yeah. I, and then so I just riffed. I was like, so is that another city? I was like, you know, you're saying it's a real hot, yeah. dark city. You know, yeah, like yeah, yeah, you yeah. should go to vagina. A little yeah, dark, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. really hot. Yeah. So I riffed on it. And I was saying vagina. And then I, and that, and that, I think this is where you realize you can get away with things. Because you can cross that path, you know, cross that line a little bit. But I brought it back to like, I turned to somebody else. I was like, sir, I don't know who you are, but I know I'm going to, I'm getting killed. After. I'm, I'm yeah. going to get killed after, right? Yeah. And the crowd was laughing and yeah. love, and the guy was laughing. Yeah. So they realized that I'm breaking He's the- going, yes, you are. Yes. Yeah, exa- yeah, you know, <laughs> it's funny. It's your last show ever, but funny. At least you went out on top. <laughs> um, so you tend to run into that, you yeah. know, you, you run into like, you can cross the lines, but you mm-hmm. got to know where, Yeah. you know, like I did a show. And the other thing you run into is, I'm sure you've had this before where- you look out in the audience, and like I did a show in uh, Oman. Oman is a great, great country. It's right there. It's uh, ne- near uh, Yemen and Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, um, it's it's just beautiful. People go there for like vacationing mm-hmm. and stuff. And uh, and I'm looking out in the audience, and because there's not, it's not like the comedy store where we're open seven days a week, 365 days a year. Sure, it's people once just a show year, up twice the, a year. Yeah, so it's yeah. an event. Yeah. So you look out in the audience, and there's people of all ethnicities, like a lot of Indians, a lot of uh, a lot of Indians like, live out there. Um, you got a lot of Omanis. You got these people like dressed, you know, to the nines, just dressed up, and then they got their kids with them. Mm. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to start doing a thing about mm. like masturbation, you know. Yeah. I'm, I start editing in my head. I'm like, sure. masturbation is out. Da da is out. Yeah. So that becomes another thing that 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 you know that that causes you to kind of go in a certain direction. And also, it's not like because you, you would have those feelings, you know, if you were doing even if because they don't allow kids in uh, to the clubs here, you don't really have to deal with that. But every once in a while, you do a certain show and there's a kid there, yeah, and you really got to choose here too but the pressure is not really as cultural like yeah. you know there's really a fear that you will truly insult yeah you know the the cultural norm yeah we're here like you know i'll, I'll definitely be dirty in front of a kid because yeah. they brought the kid they yeah. know what comedy is yeah, but yeah. there yeah there, that there's that but there's also the fact that like you know you may be you know you may be shunned yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and, by the entire audience yeah and you offended the family and right. this and this well and that's that. an interesting topic as well is that I can't imagine. Yeah, I mean, you're playing for people that have more money than can ever be imagined. Right. I mean, especially in Saudi Arabia. I mean, yeah. if they're if they're there and they're dressed up, you know, whether it's uh, you know the yeah. the traditional garb or 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 just dressed up. Yeah. You're dealing with billionaires. Yeah. Who don't even you know who wipe their ass with money. They yeah, don't even yeah. give a fuck. Yeah. Now, was there any experience where you ever like hosted by a family to go to someone's house where you're like, oh my god, outside of the farm, yeah, yeah where yeah. there's a racetrack and a nature preserve, was there ever this idea that you're like these people run the world? Yeah. I uh, we had a young prince in his early twenties, really cool guy. Uh, he wanted to know if we could do a show for him, uh, you know, for a private show, and, like for his like cousins. Yeah, like, yeah, sure. Okay. So we show up. You know, this door opens to this, to this like it's like off off one of these roads. It's normal looking road, but the door opens to this compound. You know that poster where it's got like a Lamborghini, uh, you know, a Bentley. Uh, that's, and it's all in the garage. Yeah. And it's like you know, it's like yeah. you know, life is good or whatever. Yeah. 
That guy had that in his house. Like that, <laughs> not the poster. He had those cars. Yeah. He had that garage. Yeah. Lined up like that. And then he's like, and then there was like on the property, there was like three houses. He's like, I designed this house because I got, you know, I studied architecture. So, so I designed this house. And then he's like, my mom designed that house. And we've got this other house. And he's like taking us on a tour. Um, he had, first of all, the house he designed had like a game. It was like, it was totally designed by a young guy for his friends. It had like a game room with like big TVs and video game stuff. It had another room where like they would watch soccer games. It had a gym, like a place you'd get a membership to. It had a gym. And then and then in the gym, there was a DJ area. So he has people DJ. While he's guess, playing basketball? While they, uh, no, while he's like lifting weights. I don't know. I have no idea. Oh yeah. God. And then he's like, and then he's like, oh, here's my pool. The pool looked kind of, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a decent pool. Yeah, it's a good pool. Yeah. And then there was like a um, a fence with ivy on it, and and I didn't realize there was a door like at the end of the fence. Yeah. He's like, yeah, let's go over this way. So he opens the he opens the fence, the gate, basically, yeah. and we walk past the gate, and then there's a soccer field. <laughs> No, he's got a soccer field <laughs> with lights. You know, if he wants to play at night with with her bleachers, uh, no bleachers, no bleachers. But then he also had a concrete soccer court in case he decides not to play on the grass. So you walk around, and the, and, and the guy was the coolest guy in the world. It was very nice. Yeah, you know, why um, wouldn't he be? Yeah, why wouldn't he? Exactly right. <laughs> but you're you're walking around, and you're like, oh, and they like everything is like gold, like you know, on the wall. And then he took us to he took us to the to the to this one room. He's showing us, and he's like, um, there's there's this carpet. Uh, like tapestry with with three Saudi men on it. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, that one right there, the one in the center top. Yeah, he's like, that was my grandfather, King Saud. So yeah. the guy who the country was named after was his grandfather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And exactly what you said. I was like, huh? Oh, yeah. can, can I borrow a couple of dollars? <laughs> yeah, just, you know? just give me some money. Yeah, just Where, give where's it. the where's the like when you walk out, you just get like a like a brick of money. Yeah, you know, exactly. Thanks right? for coming. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, let me let me see if I got some change on me. Oh, here's a brick of gold. Here you go. <laughs> so where did you do the show in that situation? We did the show. It was actually kind of an awkward setup. It was funny because he was doing it for like his younger cousins. Like, there's a very um, uh, um, you know, uh, there's there's this feeling of like um, um, patriarchal kind of like sure. you know fatherly. I mean, he's a 23 year old guy, but he's like my young cousins who are like these teenage girls and boys. Like yeah. there's like you know 15 of them that are like 12 years old. Yeah, he's like, well, they didn't, they couldn't come to the show, so let me have the show come to them. Oh, that's why. So he's got them sitting in the middle, and and to them again, we're celebrities because like they've seen us on YouTube and yeah. on television. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So it it would be like having. You know, Tom Cruise is going to stop by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're, sure. And, uh, you know, you know, um, but that's the problem. Tom Cruise never goes there, so sure. we're the best they can do. You that's know what amazing. I'm now, did you ever do shows that we really felt were for regular people? I mean, because I mean, and I don't know what I mean by that because it sounds like the shows in uh, in Lebanon were just party people. But yeah. like, did you ever? Because like sometimes you do shows. Like, is there a working class? Is there just? You know, I oh, mean, absolutely. Look, first of all, first of all, a lot of these places, whether it's Lebanon or even in Saudi Arabia, you got people that are like, you know. Um, you know, obviously you have a lot of rich people, but you also have people that are like, you know, students or or, or their father's like an engineer or what have you. You know, they're okay. And they all come. Yeah, they come. They yeah. come to the shows. You know, um, Egypt is an interesting place. Egypt, um, you know, Egypt's a poorer country. And so you do shows and you got a lot of, I mean, ticket prices are a lot less there. Um, and you have to do it. But you have like, Cairo is the most densely populated city in the world, or at least it was when I looked it up. And it was, and uh, and, and you, you end up with shows, we would do like, two 2,000 seaters and it would be packed 
And it was, again, families would show up, and they love it, and they're very supportive. Polite audiences? Very polite. Oh, my God. The nicest, politest. Like, it's like- No heckling outside of a bachelor party. That's funny that bachelor parties are universally shitty. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> bachelorette yeah. parties. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. With a girl, she had like a penis on her head or something. Of course. I was like, really? Yeah, I, that, go, that, I was I like, can, what's wrong with you people? No, well, no. That could, like, that could happen she, anywhere. Yeah, she had a milk bottle. She had a, they gave her a milk bottle to drink out of. I was like, why are you doing this to this yeah. girl? Anyway, it was, yeah, that, that bachelorette parties suck everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the people are always the because sh- again, like I said, it's like this is an event. Like and you know, it's people new to them, paid, right? Yeah, and they also they paid money. They want to come see this. It's like this doesn't happen all the time, right? Um, and they're always the, and and you know we've taken a lot of non Middle Eastern comics out there with us, and they've done great. And the key again is to just like keep it clean, and you know, it was interesting to see. Like we did a we did a show at. Um, in in Abu Dhabi for a an all, all girls school in Abu Dhabi and they yeah. were and they were dressed kind of you know in Abu Dhabi they wear they don't wear like a full veil the yeah. girls they wear like this like black kind of veil that goes like over their hair yeah but underneath the, underneath they have like the latest like Louis Vuitton you see the bling coming out <laughs> yeah they love the bling but yeah. they just got to cover it up it's kind of weird um, but we did the show there and again they're very nice. Um, but we had Sebastian Maniscalco with yeah. us, and he does a lot of like you know some of the stuff about dating and yeah. stuff. And these girls, like one of the girls, like emailed us going like, "Really enjoyed the show; it was great." But you know, some of the dating stuff is a little it was a little pushy and risque. Yeah. There was nothing risque about it at all. Yeah, it was just that in they her just mind, don't date like yeah, that. it's just like I don't know, you yeah. shouldn't talk about that stuff. I'm like, come on, you well, know. Well, they probably. I mean, I can't even imagine what the culture of courting is. I mean, in, in that situation. Well, the, what they were doing for the longest time, we we, we learned is that that, that that these young, a lot of young people in these countries that are that are more strict, they would go to malls. This is before they would go to malls and they would first of all there was a time when they would crumble up their uh their phone numbers and like just as they're walking past each other like throw it to the other person to the guy to the guy yeah so then oh call me and we'll figure out a way to hook up or something then it became blackberries you could do this thing where you bluetooth so with your phone you like send a button or like you pass by each other you do something they get your number right then the thing I i learned last time i was in um saudi arabia the reason facebook is so pop facebook is huge over there it's because that is their cafe they can't go sit at a cafe and talk and get to know each other. So they got to know each other on this cafe, which is Facebook. Right. Which they sit there and they chat. No one's over their shoulders. You know, what are you doing? What are your interests? All that stuff. That's why it's so popular over there. So whenever and then, I... And also the older generation doesn't know about that. They don't know. They don't yeah. know how to do it. Yeah, right? right. What is this login? Yeah, I have yeah, no idea. Yeah, you know? yeah. um, so, so whenever we do... Whenever I do shows in some of these places... We don't even have to put any. There's nowhere to put ads. You can't put in Saudi Arabia. You can't like run an ad in the yeah. Saudi, you know, Riyadh Examiner. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have to do comedy to, tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> the Riyadh Weekly. Um, so you have to do it like through Facebook, and it's amazing. They are all on there, and and it works. Well, that's interesting because now that you know this stuff, now I, at some point I imagine that if there are actually going to be indigenous comedy scenes coming up, that the comics that live in that cultural situation will start making jokes about that. Or the next time you go back, you could, maybe, but they might not want to be revealed. Well, that's, that's what was funny. First of all, the audiences that are there yeah. know all about this. So yeah. I've actually watched a lot of the comics that go up talk about that stuff. These guys who are local. All the local guys. Sure. You know, what's with the Blackberry, yeah, blah, yeah. blah, 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 all that stuff. Now, me, every time I've gone to these places, one of the reasons I, I've done well in these places, and this is something that I think as comedians we, we learn as we go. Um, uh, I, I remember watching, there was a um, Richard Pryor special, I think it was in New Orleans. Yeah. And the first the five minutes. The last one. Yeah, I remember that. Was that, was that the last towards one? the last one. Yeah, yeah. It was older. And, yeah. and I think the first five minutes he talks about 
being in New Orleans. He's like, yeah. I spent a week here. You guys say this. You guys say that. And the crowd's going nuts. Yeah. And they love it because he's talking about them. Sure. And I realized early, I was like, wherever I go, I try and find what I can observe right off the bat and talk about that. But that's like an old road comic device. They, you know, people, but not if you've taken to an international level, like a road comic be like, all right, where's a bad neighborhood? You know, what's the shitty restaurant? Exactly. Who are the idiots, you know, exactly. in this town? Exactly. So now you just do a little research yeah. and they think you're like, oh my God, yeah. he, he knows about us. Yeah, and, and they love that. And the thing though that, that's been amazing is in some of these places, you can't avoid talking about these things. Like when I was in, in, in um, Egypt, every time I've been in Egypt, uh, whenever I'm in Beirut, like when you just drive around, the crazy driving, the crazy things that you sure, see, sure. you go, I got to talk about this. Yeah. Like it's ridiculous. Now, do you bring any of this back to American audiences? Some of it I do. I always, whenever I come back, I I do. I have like material because that Because I have to assume that American uh, Middle Easterners are completely unfamiliar. American, we, we, and also in, Americans in general. Like, sure. like, like I do, you know, I do bits now, uh, you know, at the clubs. Um, and it'll be a mixed mixed crowd, yeah. you know, and uh, and I and I've been doing a bit about um, I, if I get to this part of my show, I'll, I'll talk about like being in Lebanon. And I found out last time I was in Lebanon that um, you can get a loan because Lebanese and Iranians love plastic surgery. Yeah, and and we have some of the hottest women are Persian and and Lebanese. Yeah, um, but a lot of them also have nose jobs and they love plastic surgery. And so in Lebanon, you can get a loan from the bank for your plastic surgery. And I was like, I've never heard of that. Like, you know, I've heard of people put on a credit card or something, but you can't, can't get a loan for anything here. Yeah, anymore. yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> yeah, it's Wells Fargo. You yeah. Know but so I was like, so the joke I was doing, I was like, how, I don't know how that works. I don't know if guys are walking in going like, yes, hi, I was going to remodel my house, but I've decided to remodel my wife. You know, uh, you know, we, we were going to add a bathroom, but we're adding tits. Much yeah, yeah. better, you know. So I do that, and I think audience is obvious. I think it's universal. People get it, you know. Of course, how could they not get that? But I just think it's like it's a great service you're doing in the sense that, like, even somebody like me, who is relatively sophisticated, but maybe a little ignorant of things. Yeah. I mean, Christ, you say Beirut to yeah. most Americans. It uh. still represents chaos and, and, and bombs and yeah. everything. Yeah. Like, it was you. I've remember using it in a joke mm -hmm. you know in the late 80s mm -hmm. you know like in reference to new york it's like beirut you know beirut was this yeah in in the american mindset it yeah. was just a, a chaotic like de disaster like of, detroit when you say detroit the, right you know yeah yeah now, have you ever performed for the troops i've never i've wanted to and it's funny when we were doing the axis of evil we got approached to perform for the troops and it didn't go that far because we started talking about it and then i think one of the things they were saying like was like you know don't do any bush jokes and blah 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 and we're like well, half the material at this point is about Bush and like, yeah. the policy. So I think that they were there. Wh whoever was trying to book us was kind of turned off by that. So we said, "All right, well, if we're gonna have to, you know, would have been an interesting challenge." Yeah, you know, yeah. to uh, to 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 represent Middle Eastern comedy to the people that were fighting in the Middle East. Well, it's interesting, actually. It's interesting because we've done shows like the closest we've come to actually the closest I've come to performing for troops is uh, we used to go to La Jolla. Uh, like at the heart of all this, they got when a it base started. there. They got the yeah. Camp Pendleton, yeah. And we get Marines that would show up, yeah. And I'll tell you, tell you, like, <clears throat> you know, you're gonna run into the Marine, like the guy who's, you know, who's just like USA. What the hell's wrong with you? You're gonna run into that guy, yeah. But most of the guys I ran into were guys, especially guys that had gone there, yeah. Would come up and be like, "Hey, man, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for making that funny. Yeah, yeah. you're totally right. The whole, you know, whatever, blah blah blah. I've seen all the stuff you're talking about firsthand. Yeah, they're really like good people that kind of got it, and you, uh, they did get it, and you go. And you go, okay, this poor, you know, this guy's fighting the fight, but he he gets it, you know. Yeah. Well, no, a lot of them know what's up. Yeah. And they they didn't sign on, but you know, out of a necessarily a patriotic duty. Yeah. You know, they stayed signed on because they were capable of doing it and needed to do it and made a choice to be part of this military. Yeah. But I think some of them are a lot more uh, uh, aware 
of, of why they're there. Yeah. And and who the people they they are dealing with are. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. It's almost interesting because it's like you almost think that like the people that here that like go give that rah rah patriotic support the troops. It's almost like they're they're the crazy fan, and the troops are like the players who are like I get it. Like I know. It's not really that rah rah. It's not that black and white. Like some some of these job. It's a job, and 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 they know that they're trying to help people out, whatever you know. But but I don't think that they see it as blindly as some of their some of the you know rah rah patriot patriotic people. Have you played in Dearborn? Yeah, we went to that's that's what I'm that's what that's what I'm saying about the cosmopolitan thing. I do a lot better in first of all, Dearborn has the biggest uh, Arab American population in America, um, uh, as far as I know. And uh, Dearborn, Michigan. Dearborn, Michigan. Yeah. And uh, and and we did. I've done. I've tried to do Dearborn uh, and also pl- parts of Michigan a few times, and the turnout has been fine, but it hasn't been as great as some other places. And a few, I attribute that to a few things. First of all, I don't think it's it's, it's as it's not a really cosmopolitan, you know, city. You yeah. Know? Um, um, and it's specifically Arab Muslim. Arab Muslim. I think that uh, you do run into a lot of people that are like, if I were a famous Egyptian singer who'd come into town probably sell it out right you know but because i'm Amer- you know middle eastern american it's not like it's it's not i guess there's people that are more it's the, like orthodox uh, jewish community is yeah. that like just because they're arabs that they, they, they are holding on to you know exactly. their roots in a way that is almost you know uh at, at odds with american yeah living like they they just want to be reminded of home exactly and for them to honor the the community of what they came from, yeah. as opposed to you know be part of the larger community. Exactly, and huh. I think and I think that they may have a lot more like relatives and stuff that are maybe that are just they're just tied into sure the listen to that music. Right. And they're not into this at all. Right, you know right. what I'm saying? Right. Um, I did Ann Arbor, which was fun. Ann Arbor is good club. Yeah. Did you do the club? You I did the club. I did a I did a little theater there. Um, but I think I'm going to do the club next. Time. I'm pretty sure. But the the city is great. I, it reminded me. Oh, yeah. I, I went to Berkeley, so it reminded me of Cal a little yeah, bit. Yeah. It's a college town. Yeah. So so what did you study at Berkeley? I studied poli sci and I did a minor in Italian. Huh. You yeah. can speak Italian? Yeah, I was I spent there I spent a year in Italy uh, when I was a, a junior uh in um in college and I got really I had an Italian girlfriend that didn't speak any English. And so I was writing papers in Italian. It was it was great. Fucking amazing. And you also speak what is it Farsi? Farsi, yeah. Now could you do jokes in Farsi? Have you tried? Never. I mean, I you know people have asked me to come do shows in Farsi, and I go, I don't do that. I go first of all, one of my goals is to expose the Iranian Middle Eastern uh, culture and community to to, American. to Americans and and Westerners. But secondly, I go, it's what you were saying earlier. Stand up comedy that I know is an American art form with a rhythm. It's got its own rhythm. Yeah. And I go, you know, there's jokes in, in Farsi with, you know, like these two guys, they you know, they- Do it in the, Farsi. You know. Say it in Farsi. Well, I mean, like a joke in Farsi that I know, like, funny, because there's a thousand of them, and yeah. I only remember one. It's, yeah. um, yeah. Pretty good, huh? Yeah, I know you love that one. Wait, like I heard, where the, I heard where the punchline was. Yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, the rhythm of it. But what is the joke? Well, the joke is, see, that's the thing. It's funny because in Iran, <laughs> in Iran, it's all regional. Like even within Iran, there's yeah. like, you know, you got the northern, like north, my father was from North Tabriz, which is near the Russian border. They're, uh-huh. they're called Turks because uh-huh. they're also between like, like right in that area. And and the stereotype is that they're stupid. Yeah. Um. There's another one uh, called Rasht, another city called Rasht. Yeah. Uh. They're supposed to be stupid, and also 
the women, their wives are supposed to cheat on them a lot. Right. So that's the, this joke is that, that a Rashti guy comes home and he sees a man sleeping with his wife. Yeah. And he goes, so they're stupid and their wife sees it. So he goes, um, oh, you son of a bitch. You're, are you trying to mimic me or impersonate me? Like, you know, he doesn't see the sex part as much. He's like, he's being offended. That the guys make it, you know, make it fun of him kind of. You know. By fucking his wife? By fucking, because he's like, oh, what are you trying to impersonate me? Oh, you right. know, it doesn't. That's interesting. Yeah. So yeah. he's like, he, it's taken for granted that the wife will fuck anybody. Yeah. So this guy's like, how dare you try to be me in my house? Yeah. And this guy, and also this guy's stupid. You know, they're supposed to be dumb. So yeah. he doesn't see, he doesn't go like, get off my wife and beat yeah, his ass. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. like, oh, you're making fun of you're impersonating me yeah. you know ah, I got you and that's the joke that's the joke does but, it do well I mean I guess I mean within I mean that's that's the thing though there's like a million of these there's a million of these and and that's the problem is like I don't do that kind of stuff anyway like I think Iranians like think oh you're gonna go up there and tell jokes you know mm-hmm. as opposed to stand up which is that's let me right. tell you about my life that's you know? interesting now, what are you working on? Anything I, we should talk about, Monsters? I'm pitching shows to the networks right now. I got a, I got a movie I'm trying to get made. It's called Jimmy Westwood, American Hero. Mm-hmm. And it's just the word Westwood, but with Vs. Yeah. Um, and people can go to jimmyvestwood.com. It's about an Iranian uh, living in America. Um, he's always wanted to be an American hero because he's a big fan of Steve McQueen's yeah. from when he was a kid. Uh-huh. And uh, he works at a rug store and lives with his mother. Yeah. And uh, and then he ends up in this like uh, Hitchcockian kind of because he, he he ends up delivering a rug to this like femme fatale blonde lady in Beverly Hills uh-huh. and ends up in like a Hitchcockian story through her. Um, so it's kind of like um, and and the idea is and the the tagline is you don't have to be American to be an American hero. Oh, that's and that's good. what it comes from. And it's a comedy. And it's kind of like Pink Panther. And are what you trying have to you. raise money or what? Are you trying doing? to raise money. We've written a script with my friend, and we've got we've got the website. We've got the uh, he's got a Facebook page uh, for Jimmy Vestwood. Um, Maybe it's time to call the grandson of uh, I know the, the kid. I know a lot of people with a lot of money. Yeah, but it's, it's just, but it's you know what it is. It's about it's about approaching these people. The right way at the right time, and and also like finding somebody who's really into it, because you know the the ultimately people that have money, um, maybe not the grandson of the king of Saud, but but a lot of the people that I know that like in the Persian community, yeah, they're good businessmen who kind of made the money. Well, no, a lot of uh, in the eighties there was a lot of uh, movie production going on from uh, Arab money. Yeah, uh, Persian money. I don't know. Yeah, maybe you can start a new trend. I should. Yeah, bring it back. Here we go. Thanks, Miles. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Thank you, Maz Jabrani. That was interesting. That Those were stories I would never have heard. What an amazing global community we've got going with this comedy thing. Hey, anyways, I, I love Maz. He's a good guy. Now, let's just re, uh, let's rehash a little bit, okay? Let's do this, because I, uh, I don't want people to miss me if you want to see me. Cincinnati, Go Bananas, November 4th, 5th, and 6th. San Francisco, Punchline, November 11th, 12th, and 13th. Crowfoot Ballroom, Pontiac, Michigan, November 15th, one night, one night only. Live WTF, Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, Los Angeles, November 20th. December 9th and 10th, Union Hall for my CD taping. I think we're going to do four shows there. It's a small room. Book in advance. Uh, You can do that at the Union Hall website. Please go to WTFPod.com. Get on the mailing list. I enjoy writing you every week and getting you up to speed with the guests and, uh, you know, giving you a little more of a window into my life in the text form. I appreciate you listening. And please go to WTFPodshop.com for our premium episodes. The Atel episode is getting uh, rave reviews. I was right next to it happening, and I have not recovered yet. My face still hurts a little bit. Thank you for listening. Uh, love, Mark. Love, Mark.